Hi, and welcome to the Mountain Collective Podcast. Hello, Jeffrey. Thank you for uh, passing by. Um, I'm sitting on a hill <laughs> in um, in Amsterdam, like a, a small mountain here. But um, some you might hear some some noises from uh, from the surrounding, maybe some birds singing. But uh, I'm I'm today with Jeffrey Jeffrey Lilleman. Um, for the, I mean, if you don't know Jeffrey Lilleman, you should really start googling because this guy is he's, I've I've came across. Jeffrey Lilleman in a studio, random studio, and since that day I was just a huge fan of your, not only your art, but also your ethics, your consistency, your just way of look, looking to life. And you might not know this, but you really changed a lot of uh, things in my life. Uh, how, how to look at technology in general, how to... Um, treat my work my aesthetics and especially the day you know when when you had your own studio uh, with a huge team and I was also part of that um, at Warren Kennedy and I came a little bit closer to your environment and I was only for like three months but I, but for that time I gained so much information so I'm very I'm really you know glad to to talk to you again especially on the podcast and share our story yeah, well, it's, uh, thanks for having me, and uh, it's nice to hear the voice of the the mountain man on top of the <laughs> Dutch hillside. Yeah, the hillside. <laughs> what, what what is the altitude of your podcast right now? <clears throat> it's uh, it's chilly. It's a little bit chilly. I can um, yeah, I think I don't know. It's a little not that high, but it's um, it's a little bit cold, just slightly cold. But the sun is okay. shining though. Yeah. Uh, All the right. Sun is, yeah i think it's uh you know i mean you are on a giant mountain if uh if somebody very tiny is on that <laughs> hill you know it's all a matter of perspective isn't it yeah for, the, for, the, for the listeners i'm uh i'm a short guy i'm the tallest man on earth <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah yeah like a yeah, every slant is a giant mountain from your perspective. <laughs> but uh, Jeffrey, uh, I, w- I would love to, you know, take the audience a uh, little bit to the past, you know, back to the future and and t- tell them, you know, the, your story. Like, how did you grow up as a, as a small, you know, child at the time? I would love to know that, M- me and myself, then, from, because um, I'm, I'm just interested in that. Yeah, sure. Uh, okay, well, go back back in time. Uh, so I was born in the U.S. I was born in Texas a long time ago when they used to have electricity, which, uh, as we know, them, uh, they've lost a bit of that these days. Uh, and then all of my family, my parents, my grandparents, cousins, um, uh, the whole, the whole extended, extended group, extended tribe are all from North Dakota, and so I spent a lot of my youth there. So even though I was born in Texas, uh, it was only it was only a technicality. After two years of being there, we moved back to North Dakota, and uh, my father was an engineer, working for the Occupation of Safety and Health, 
So he was like a, a logical minded, um, very kind, very safe fatherly mm-hmm. figure. My mother was uh, eccentric and more, um, more kind of wild uh, party girl spirit. Um, and they had me when they were 20. So wow. it's, uh, very, very young parents. So, uh, you know, when I, when I look at them now, I'm like, you're looking old. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm not far behind them. <laughs> like, that's the bad thing about having young parents. It's like when the, when they're like uh, looking like extremely uh, um, shattered by life and, you know, look like the crypt keeper, then you're like, man, I'm too, I'm not too many minutes away from being right there with them. Uh, but in that case, uh, you know, they were my parents, young parents. And uh, they, all, they also had a daughter, my sister, who's a doctor. Um, so, uh, uh, we kind of, um, we're both, we're both raised with like, uh, you know, this like all American pressure to, to, you know, succeed. And I think that, that, that whole idea of like that whole pressure that um, Americans are put under to, um, to succeed is, uh, I don't think it's necessarily a positive thing. It's, um, and, and it's not like you go out there and do the best thing you can possible. It was more of a lack of uh, fallback. You know, like we were kind of like raised like, hey, if, uh, if you're not successful, you're gonna be homeless and be um, on the streets. So it was, it was a weird, it's a weird mentality. And a lot of, uh, you know, friends also from the US that uh, I talked to about that, like everybody feels the same, that it's just like, that there wasn't really the option of, um, of, of safety in a way. And then the older I get, I'm like, man, that's really fucked up. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> but, uh, it's like that. But, uh, but uh, my sister and I, you know, you know, not necessarily coming from like a super privileged family, besides the fact that it was like, you know, middle of America, suburban white class kind of like, uh, you know, privilege, which is definitely something uh, it, uh, the, you know, like the, the the reason that we sort of, uh, you know, we didn't have like people being like parents being like, you're going to go to medical school, we're going to pay for it. And then you're going to go to art school and do that. We didn't have that, that kind of pressure, but we had the pressure of like, you're not moving back home, mm-hmm. um, you know, so make it happen. And so, uh, you know, I see a lot of connections between her and me, you know, she went like, you know, the the medical school route and I went through like uh the new technology immersive art route and uh and didn't really go to school in a traditional sense for that because I mean it wasn't possible there was no school for that I mean as as we know now you know if you work in in technology and digital art it's all self-taught you know and uh yeah I guess like when I was first starting it in in 2000 uh which is uh yeah the year i graduated high school you know the internet was just coming about at least you know for us and it was uh, for me it was a uh, north dakota online and america online um with the dial-up modems the 56 kbps and uh and yeah it was just it was an open terrain where everybody was uh self-teaching but i'm kind of getting ahead of myself in, in terms of the family story I'm just trying to kind of like paint a little bit of a picture of like where the ambition comes from, from a, from a family, family feeling. And then uh, my grandmother owned a used bookstore. Uh, my grandfather owned a used music store. Uh, and so as kids, uh, you know, we'd spend a lot of time with them and, uh, 
you know, she'd give me a lot of Mad Magazine and L. Jaffe books. And, uh, and that was always sort of like an absurdity. And um, in the U.S., especially in the 80s, you know, like the, the sense of humor was like kind of the, the, like the, the school of absurdity, like how outrageous can something be? It, it wasn't about like uh, humor based on, uh, well, like bluntness or like a certain cynicalness that you would have in, in Dutch humor or UK humor. And the US humor was like more like the more outrageous, outlandish, like that's what's really funny. Right. Uh, that's why that's why like there's a, a different sense of humor uh, with people like, uh, you know, I related to more like the Saturday Night Live in the eighties. Uh, um, Mike Mike Myers' sense of humor, um, that kind of just like absurd outrageousness. So, and and the Mad Magazine um, side of things. So, like that definitely has driven into where where I am as like certain personality now is that uh, that eighties U.S. humor. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and that's all thanks to my grandmother. And then. She was also very eclectic uh, and huge cat person. So, you know, we always had cats around. Uh, we, as a family, we used to listen to a lot of classical music, a lot of jazz music. Um, you know, stemming down from my grandfather owning the mu- music store. One of my uncles is a jazz musician in Minneapolis and studio musician. And, uh, you know, I, I guess we have a lot of influence from 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 all the classics and all the greats. But uh, you know, and that still drives into uh, you know how I how I feel about music now, and even like uh, music that's not classical. I like things that are just as dramatic as big classical scores, and so I like the rock music of Led Zeppelin um, uh, or Queen or. Um, it's kind of like epic mega mega rock groups mm-hmm. i find a lot of connection to and then uh and then also to uh punk rock music as well on the opposite side like just like a little bit like more rough and more edgy and a little bit less glamour and so i kind of like i like i like extreme music extreme classical like emotional like extreme rock like the best solos in rock like those moments and then uh, the most like painful sounds of punk music, and uh, and then jazz music that's like deeply dark. Mm-hmm. And then the same goes for wine. Like it's, I also like the the extremities of you know very harsh, flavorful wine, very subdued. So it's like a, I think as I was growing up and having these influences. I always went to the far extremes of everything. So like uh, going like, you know, furthest emotional that you could get, furthest deep that you could go, furthest high that you could go. So like like never staying in the uh, in the middle range of anything. And that this this sort of um, this like ex- like almost out of balance behavior. I feel like that went against my star sign, which is a Libra. Mm-hmm. And so I've always been trying to find balance, but my instinct goes to the extremes. And so I would owe all of this to kind of uh, the influences I had from my grandmother, grandfather, uh, father, mother. And, you know, that's the, the emotional sensitive mother the you know safe stable stable father, 
the eccentric introverted grandmother and the kind of like strict on tempo band teacher grandfather and then all of this was connected to my sister who's a doctor who's like kind of having the same influences but we were very competitive against each other because of the culture that we were growing up in America was like this like if you don't survive you're going to die so that actually kind of spread us apart in two different directions but we actually we have a lot in common but like we use those same formula of influence to um become these kind of characters that we are and so hopefully that kind of paints a bit of a picture of like where my core is and then i just happened to be kind of like coming of age um in you know gr- with graduating high school in 2000 so going back to when the internet was booming this is a time when the when if you if you if you had an expressive core and yeah you know you can some could say it's a you know it's being an artist but i don't know if it if it needs to even be labeled like that mm-hmm. um you know i never like really like of course i've said i'm an artist you know because i make art but it's a uh, it's it's not really what uh what drives me i'm just like all right this is just my taste this is the kind of stuff i like doing it's like the art of life it's the art of life is how you react to everything you know whether it's a canvas a computer or you know how you have a conversation then everything is art then is already been a, a title you know it's just it's just a um the way i deal with whatever is in front of me mm-hmm. and uh and so anyway as i was you know coming up on this 2000 with the internet uh you know there was there was flash uh which now yeah. has just been retired <laughs> rest, in, rest in peace flash uh, <laughs> it did a lot for me like uh, it was actually i was in a lot of like early flash books um and like wrote like kind of like how to and things like that about about how to um, use flash and make art and i just happened to be uh yeah at the right place at the right time and just thinking about flash is just like i'm like this is cool yeah i'm going to make some artwork with this and then uh and then it brought me into this definition of being this digital artist just because i was using it to make what i thought was cool and then mm-hmm. ended up uh meeting a huge community of people uh being invited to speak at conferences um and then suddenly i had to like go back on what i was just doing for the hell of it and uh try to proactively explain what i was doing like i had some like big huge artistic ambition which is impossible it's not true like you could always like go back and be like oh what's my bio going to be what is my artist statement but it was just it was just approaching technology and making what feels right and not making uh what doesn't feel right simple as that there's nothing more than that and uh uh but because i you know was on the forefront of making art with this new technology and people responding to that i almost ended up um falling in to the success of that as being what i what i actually was i'm like oh yeah i'm an artist who makes work with new technology and uh and just because there was success with that very early on i just i continued on that pattern and so with with making um digital art it's it, 
I don't know. It's I, I guess for me, it just happened to be a medium. If it was like, if it was anything else, if I would have like somehow at that age had access to to architecture and building supplies, I probably would have been making buildings in a way that uh, was non conventional and would have been influenced mm. by this like uh, kind of uh, you know kind of like cocktail of of the way I was brought up. Um, but uh, you know, so so. Because of that early, early success with that, and being like, oh yeah, like like being suddenly an expert of something that no one was an expert of yet. So it's like, yeah. you know, <laughs> who's the expert? You know, you're just the first. You're the first one to be the expert, but <laughs> not the last because like, there's like a million more intelligent people coming. Um, mm -hmm. But because I was on that front, like uh, I started getting a lot of offers of like somebody who has answers to to new technology, new software, new mediums. And so that started like guiding this like headspace of being uh, like defining ways to be expressive and make art with um, the, the newest um, mediums, digital mediums of choice. And, uh, and I was invited to, to go to the Banff Center, which is uh, it's changed quite a bit now, but there there used to be something called the Banff New Media Institute that was uh, in the mountains. Actually, this would, if you can, that's the place to do the mountain podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's in, Banff, in Banff, Canada. Uh, it's in the middle of the Rocky Mountains, and there's a culture center there. And with the Banff New Media Institute, they would invite artists and technologists to join forces. And this is a it was it was amazing because it you know you'd have kind of like opposite-minded people um that were brought together to kind of like uh see how the collaboration could yeah like see what it would come up with it was just a big mm -hmm. experiment that was funded by the canadian government and it was there that i really flourished with meeting a lot of uh you know you would meet like really insane programmers we were meet, meeting people that were like making some of the first GPS uh, sort of mobile experiences where you'd have to wear a whole entire backpack just for your GPS coordinates and then have a accelerometer wristbands so that wow. you know when you do a gesture on your phone and you, you know you can look use your phone to like look around like, like it works like a compass would mm -hmm. uh, before that was on your phone there was pieces of hardware that you could um, that you could wear that would do that and we'd also collaborate with fashion designers the fashion designers would make clothing that would hold these accelerometers. So it was kind of like an interesting thing of like how artists can like merge with technologists and see what they could come up with. And it was uh, there that I kind of met a lot of other like-minded people. Uh, and, you know, it started getting me in the headspace of being like, okay, okay, this is, this, this can be kind of like a, a, quite a, quite a niche specific thing to focus on. And then from there, just started uh, uh, making connections. Uh, some of them commercial, some of them uh, just kind of arts, arts only focused. And then I ended up moving to Boston because uh, I got a job offer at an advertising agency. And the advertising agency was Modernista, which is no longer there. But uh, I was just young, you know, just kind of knew how to make technology art experiences. And then they were like, uh, yeah, what um, what can we kind of do? And 
it ended up just formulating itself into a technology research lab mm-hmm. and and that was like this whole idea of just you know like i was doing at the bamf center of kind of merging technology and art but like experimenting with uh with brands in mind and and there ended up uh working with my partner from canada anita fontaine who we started oh, yeah. a few companies together with and uh it was it was her and i who we met in bamf and then when i got the job at modern east in boston she also was able to to move and we were like yeah cool let's let's see what we could do at this ad agency and get paid we were like yeah sweet we have jobs now <laughs> instead of being you know just like kind of broke at the bamf center but having a dream life of yeah, just, yeah, yeah you know yeah. make making art and climbing the mountains and yeah exactly <laughs> ski skiing all day which i'm like please get me back there right now i've died again and then uh but yeah anyway in boston you know we kind of we kind of found our footing with this idea of uh using our knowledge from the bamp center just our intuition of just merging technology and art together uh and making making art for brands and the way that we were able to make art for brands was by we could pretty much get away with what we thought was good but if it was using new technology it was something that wasn't seen before so it always get a lot of press mm-hmm. so in that way we were able, able to almost like not follow such strict briefs like it was still valuable from an advertising perspective because it was uh it was almost like a experimental experimental art underneath a brand's wing that would get enough press that it would uh it would be worth it to to fund it So it's kind of like uh it was just a- advertising through um just making something cool which is a uh, uh which is great. Um so we we ended up doing like a lot of video game work, a lot of uh interactive website things when uh, you know that's kind of a, what the technology could do and then uh, and then that company we were we were going to open up an office in New York and leave Boston and then as that happened there happened to be an office of Modernista in Amsterdam and they they were like hey we want to we want to fund and you guys starting your own company and you can run it out of the Amsterdam office because you know they they knew you were dying to get out of Boston because uh yeah when you're when you're in your mid 20s and if you're not in New York uh and you're in Boston you're like no give me out of here give me to New York <laughs> like now I would if I went back to the US Boston would be much more interesting than New York I think yeah just seems like you know easier access to to nature and then you have the ocean right there you know it's just but yeah yeah when you're in your mid 20s you want to party and be part of culture and things like that it's like it's like the worst place to be so we would always yeah uh, take the Fongwa bus from Boston to New York which is $15 and it was uh that was like the way but anyway we were we were we had our eyes set on really establishing our own interactive art company in New York called Champagne Valentine mm-hmm. and uh you know and uh um, but as we were kind of in the midst of doing that modernista was like yeah we have this uh, office in Amsterdam and uh yeah why don't you guys run the company out of there um have a have a you know work with us and um you know see what you could do if you if you run it underneath your own name and then we ended up uh moving to Amsterdam and loving it here and uh yeah just doing great and uh building up the Champagne Valentine name and meeting a lot of people 
uh, working on, you know, interactive art for tons of brands uh, and, you know, starting to like get introduced into having reps and, you know, this idea of uh, extending the network, going to London all the time, uh, working with clients there, going to Paris all the time. And, and it's interesting. It's like, uh, you know, when you have a company like that, you suddenly go from knowing like 10 people to knowing a uh, hundred people. And um, so it was something uh, that really, um, yeah, kind of like a, extended our network. And then, and then at one point we were switching offices and we met Dan who owns Random Studio. And there was four people there and we ended up we're like, oh yeah, you guys are doing interactive website stuff. You know, we're doing this interactive technology stuff. And so we combined forces with Random and then uh, just started doing tons of work with them. Uh, they had way more sick programmers than we had, but we understood like how to make art with that stuff. So it was kind of like we had like suddenly a super strong programming support side and just grew the relationship with the, with with random and then at some point uh we decided to close champagne valentine just because it's hard you know you end up running these kind of companies and you know everybody else has to get paid before you do mm -hmm. and you have to do a lot of work to feed that feed the amount of models that you have and i think at some point we had 10 people working for us so you know every month we're having to pay 10 people before ourselves and it just the, the kind of lifestyle of just being able to, you know, have a good life and not be working 24 seven. And, uh, you know, just to make sure everybody else gets paid was very, we just had to make a change. Mm -hmm. And so then from there, Anita and I ended up closing Champagne Valentine and going our separate ways. And then we, I ended up, uh, taking on more of a, direction of like how how my taste in technology and specifically 3d um and kind of making like you know immersive 3d worlds and how that could infuse with pop culture so it's kind of like thinking about like how how does digital art work with you know the fashion and music industry and uh how does it work in la and uh and ended up just finding a path of working with uh, a lot of different people there and namely Diane Martell who is a, a music video artist that I do a lot of work with and you know she understands really like how to make something that 20 million people will find interesting versus 200 so like understanding that difference between uh, the masses and the niche individuals mm -hmm. uh, and so you know, and we still do a lot of work together, but I'm um, just kind of like, uh, kind of like taking like, you know, my sort of backstory of, of technology, art, 3D work and um, her understanding the pop culture and just fusing that together. And it, it works very well. We do a lot of projects together under that pretense. And, um, and so we've had that going on for eight years now. And maybe four years ago, as I was still doing that kind of work, um, Anita came back to Amsterdam and we ended up um, just being like, oh yeah, let's try to do a Champagne Valentine number two. Like, uh, let's see if we yeah. could, you know, try to run this underneath an ad agency again. And then that's when uh, we had a good meeting with the with Wyden Kennedy and uh, 
and they were looking for you know something similar like how to you know kind of bring some new technology into the you know advertising that their clients were were needing and um and it just kind of all worked out in a cosmic sense and uh, the stars aligned and um, we were able to uh to work with them and start the department of new realities and uh and you know see what we could do with defining new kinds of spaces and uh as you can see you know virtual reality uh is becoming a thing augmented reality uh all of this stuff is happening more than ever now because of coronavirus uh it's almost like we should have started it when coronavirus uh came about you know like this real need for alternate reality spaces and uh we did that for three years and had a really great time you know yeah we ended up just uh just doing what we always wanted to do but on a much bigger scale like doing you know giant you know uh mega virtual reality event projects for corona in mexico city mm-hmm. and just kind of like see see how far the the mega brand could like push making one of these technology art experiences and yeah that's a bit of like the kind of like uh the 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 commercial route of things um uh, and now you know I do the do the same stuff I'm working at random studio full time mm-hmm. but then occasionally do uh, run my own projects as well and uh you know it's it's always on the quest to to you know just see what's on the horizon of new technology and what kind of art can be made with it really yeah well that's that's um me that's quite a long journey yeah jeffrey i love it though it's it makes a lot of sense also it gives a it paints a great picture for 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 whoever wants to also to go to your website as well uh, jeffreyleleman.com i i have it open right now and i have actually two things open two pads open one is um, the gucci project but also just right next to it uh, i have your instagram uh and i see a lot of cats like tons of cats <laughs> like what's what's yeah. going on <laughs> yeah so the uh well okay yeah to, <laughs> to talk about the two projects the thing is like uh i work on tons of non-disclosure agreement projects where i'm not even allowed to like really even talk about it and so like i was like what am i ever going to put on my instagram anyway it's like i could never put it on <laughs> you know because it's like what i'm doing every day is just like uh it's all stuff that's like you know I, it's just their big commercial projects so you can't like you know you can't put behind the scenes on it and uh so I'm like oh yeah you know what though like in terms of like the kind of art that I want to make it's just all about like I'm like I want to start putting things that I like and not caring about any other rules and it's like I like pictures of the cats I want to put them on Instagram that's it there's nothing more deep than that like there's no master strategy it's like this is what I like I lost tons of followers doing it and I don't even care because it kind of like it just keeps me grounded I look back at them and I'm like yeah man I like these photos like this is cool like it just makes you feel good when I look at them and then uh but you know it is going to get progressively more crazy like uh I mean like I want to get into the point where there's like six months of cat photos and people are like dude enough but cat photos like come on like this is just like irritating <laughs> and then like just do like the most slamming insane 3D sculpture of one yeah. of the cats with like a <laughs> with like a dragon body like ripping apart a castle like just really like like 
use it to like get people so annoyed and then like flip it and just do something really wild and crazy so uh yeah it's just it's just one of those things like i'm not overthinking it you know like i do a lot of content also for for other people's instagrams and i get paid to do that and so it's like uh in a sense like uh, you know if you put your art on your instagram yeah. I, i understand that can be good for exposure but if you if you can also sell your art and use it for somebody else's instagram then do that mm-hmm. yeah, that makes <laughs> you know, that makes like, a lot of sense you know it's like uh if you put all your good ideas and all your good stuff on instagram then like uh yeah you think the world's just being like that's a good person what a good samaritan for putting all of his art on there no they're like hell no good good idea we're stealing it copy paste <laughs> so um yeah that I, i think it's like i think it's just kind of going back to uh i just put things that i like on there and that's it and then uh and then the gucci project yeah that was it you know there's been a whole slew of uh interesting new briefs coming out because of covid and mm-hmm. a lot of that are like what are the uh what are the digital alternatives to physical events and uh you know it's it's the question of the hour of course you know i mean everybody's you know we're used to having physical fashion shows and um and the gucci project uh was all done in rome and then the whole idea was that uh it was a 12 hour live stream uh shot on the Palazzo Vecchi, which is a really beautiful palace in Rome. And uh it was a behind the scenes glimpse at a Gucci photo shoot happening. And so you could just like see, you know, Gucci world of course, but like people with covid masks were carrying metal bars and um you know, whatever just like all the set stuff that you would have, you know, walking through. And then at uh at two o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday that live stream was overlaid with kind of like a 1990s uh Windows operating system fashion fashion show so it was it was kind of like different layers of uh of concept happening like we have the live stream background then on top of that we have a, a pre-animated uh catwalk approach that's put in a Windows you know 93 interface um kind of vibe and it it just was it was the right thing to do it, it you know it was, it was a it was the right move for the right time um of how to answer covid and create something new and we also did something uh for the antwerp fashion department mm-hmm. and that was a ghost show and the whole idea of that was a was another kind of a much longer event that was a two hour long show where there was a it was all pre-shot photos of people and then they were mapped on 3D kind of abstract models like the kind of models that you'd see in that end scene in Beetlejuice you know like the weird cool characters that are like uh, those sculptures that are like dragging their heads it was like those kind of bodies that would be dragging a photo along a catwalk so it was kind of like using digital 3D characters to carry the photo asset uh, oh. you know in a way and and these are kind of these kind of approaches and these kind of challenges are something that uh were never uh you know thought about before before covid constraints ask certain questions and so you know as much of a drag as it is for everybody there is a way that it's uh you know it's it's causing us to rethink about how you know how things can be when they when you don't have the constraints of reality 
And so yeah, I find it quite exciting that uh, that we that we can see things that way. And, you know, it's making the the internet and game engines and video broadcasting uh, a lot more interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's really it's really interesting. Like what you what you combine, you know, the um, the, the industries together. Especially with the technologies that you use, what are your thoughts about uh, the future? And because I know you told me one day, one sentence that I would never forget, and I th- or I read it somewhere, one of the two, but it's still in my mind, which was death is the is the future, it's the last day of the future. Yeah. So uh, that really resonated with me, like until today. <laughs> um, so what is what is the future in in your thoughts today? Oh man, good question. Yeah, that's uh, like, well, you know, I think the future is different for for every single person. But uh, I think that, like, uh, I mean, for me, the future is just about following no rules except for doing what feels right and avoiding what doesn't feel right. Like that's, I, I feel like that's like my, that's my personal kind of future. And that might sound vague, but it just kind of means like, uh, you know, that there there is no rules that you have to follow besides your own intuition and your own gut feeling. And maybe, I, I mean, I'm sure that's been said a gazillion times, you know, not claiming like originality on that philosophy, but uh, <laughs> it's, it just feels like, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of where, where I'm at. You know, it's like, uh, I know that, um, you know, like, I think looking at less, less art might be good. Um, you know, I think that at some point, if we see too much, then we feel too um, concerned that we're never gonna like be as good as that. Like I'll post cat photos to Instagram, but I can't look at Instagram. Like I can't deal with it. Like there's so much genius work there that I'm like, man, this is insane. Like this stuff is like, like everything good is already done. Like I'm like, there's like, there's more genius things than I could ever even think of, you know, so it's just not possible to do that. And, but if I don't know about them, then I can still think about them again. <laughs> like, and then yeah, I feel yeah, good. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like the world is like, is broader, the less, you know, you know, the ignorance is bliss a little bit. It's like, you know, like, you don't like, you know, it's funny. Like sometimes like when I'm working, especially at random, like, uh, I'll just be like, oh yeah, what about this idea? And then like five people will be like, oh yeah, my buddy in Berlin already did that thing. Or like, uh, my, my roommate just did that. Or uh, uh, I know this guy, I'm like, okay. I'm like, all right, everybody, like, sorry. Like everything's been done. Okay, I'll just keep trying. But like, for me, it's like, I'd rather just, you know, think from my own perspective than being like so hyper aware because I've looked at every single Instagram feed ever. That like I think I know that that you know that, that my that my creative process is based on references and trying to like do something new from the references that I know of. like that like that's not something that I like to do I just like to I just like to do what I think is is right and then in some ways I'm like man I'm like really like 1990s kind of or early 2000 kind of thinking like I'm like man this is weird like I can feel my own age. Yeah. So, so basically, know, like, yeah. So basically, you are searching for originality within yourself. Yeah. I mean, I think just searching for honesty more mm-hmm. than originality. You know, mm-hmm. I think like that, like 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 uh, you know, because if you're searching for originality, 
like then you would have to know everything that's been done to make something original so the only thing you can do is search for honesty i think i mean that's how i feel mm-hmm. you know and uh you know and i'm sure there's like a million more genius ideas out there but uh you know it, it also takes a lot you know yeah maybe if it feels real then it's good you know that's it that's that's all that matters you know yeah. like i'm sure there's a better a better character that can be designed and a better set that can be designed but uh if it just feels uh yeah if it feels genuine then it's good that's yeah. it yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense i mean it sounds very simple but it is uh it it yeah it comes it comes um it hits pretty much on the right spot we are although coming to you know to the end of the the episode and i would love to ask you some you know some silly questions if you are able to yeah yeah answer them to the best of your ability <laughs> okay so um, the first one is what is the first thing that you do when you wake up oh man okay okay well <laughs> i could absolutely tell you that so i always have a coffee um mm-hmm. i've been trying to if i drink caffeinated coffee i end up drinking it all day and then have extreme emotional problems and get crazy <laughs> and then usually need to have a wine at five or six o'clock just to like balance it out um but obviously that's not a good uh sort of uh ritual to fall into so now sometimes i try to start with decaf and then mm-hmm. I, i try to trick myself by putting decaf in the container where the caffeinated coffee usually is and then i usually forget about it and then i drink it and i'm like oh yeah cool and then have like a nice balanced day you know drink mm-hmm. a decaf coffee then go for a run nice feeling good um the i've always like uh okay the the last three years i've kind of like uh when i started buying my first house and then i sold that house and got a second house i kind of felt because i like it was like a house that i own i bought a house that it was like a reflection of my own soul and i went totally insane and filled it like to the rim with like tons of antiques and like really eccentric and really over the top and like it looks beautiful kind of like a the thing yeah but the thing is it became like a like kind of like a almost like a, a weird escape from reality you know mm-hmm. it would just be like i would wake up and i would change things and like um but it's not good to live in that kind of environment like it becomes like living inside of a an unfinished artwork like it's like right. it's it, it's like a hard hard thing to do so a lot of times when i would wake up um uh, be- because of living in this kind of like elaborate very as highly aesthetic environment that if anything was out of place i would feel like out of balance so but i would wake up i would have to like make the bed set it in a certain way set the aesthetic of the bed to to and then have the coffee in the right environment because if anything was out of place the whole thing felt cluttered and made me feel like a total psycho <laughs> so it was like uh and so now it's like you know i'm getting rid of all the antiques and going a little bit more bare and uh it's just a way to live like it's like uh you know it's funny it's like you know the that kind of like wild baroque aesthetic mm-hmm. yeah it looks it looks great it looks great as a first impression but to actually live in it if it's not if there's like say like uh you know you have um just like a an unfitting aesthetic inside of that like even even a grocery bag that's not you know from 1890 
if you put that in that environment, it suddenly throws the whole thing off. You know, as soon as there's any like taste of of modern of modernness or anything that's uh that's that's not fitting into like that kind of that strict aesthetic, then it um, doesn't work. And it's uh yeah, it's brutal on the mind. So yeah, to answer your question, like uh usually I was like trying to make sure the set looked right to have the coffee, but now I'm throwing away all of the things and going more minimal and then can just like enjoy a coffee with like a one sock dangling off. And uh, you know, like a a modern a modern object mm-hmm. from the twentieth century in the peripheral vision and it's all good. Yeah. Okay, and uh, second question. Uh, um, by the way, uh, you can hear, you might hear some uh, swangs around me. I, like a lot of them just gathered around me. So I think like one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, a few of those, they just, you know, they are looking at me right now. But uh, that's fine. I'm just gonna continue. Uh, hot or cold? Oh man, my lovely girlfriend, Melanie, like she, uh, was like oh yeah we we need to do an arbatic test for you and um and we did that and uh i bought a pita which means very very irritable with with anything hot like a, <laughs> like a much more comfortable cold way more comfortable cold like if, if i get physically hot or in hot temperatures i have a total panic attack i hate it i hate the heat absolutely hate it like uh yeah no i'm much much happier in cold weather for sure um but you know in terms of being hot or cold it's because my bloody insides is like boiling hot you know the yeah the the vata pita is really is really a specific type highly temperamental emotional a bit angry um but uh yeah yeah definitely interesting definitely put put me in cryogenic chamber yeah (laughs) um if you are this is a good question for you i know um because you you told me in the beginning a lot of things about music um if you are stuck on an island for a whole year and you can only listen to three albums what would they be oh for 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 just a whole year yeah yeah oh man like well look i've been obsessed there's actually one song i would listen to queen innuendo uh, <laughs> nice because it's epic that song is so epic it's insane like i can't believe how genius it is like you know because it starts out with the rock ballad and then it goes into like some weird like spanish guitar music kind of thing and then it just goes into this like operatic blast and then back to rock music it's epic that song is just like it's insane so, you so like you i listen- always have okay a- you would listen to that so like, I would, I- on repeat yeah okay i think so <laughs> nice. yeah no definitely and then i think i could always listen to um i could always listen to some kind of a uh, chet baker um uh, mm-hmm. like I, i don't know which album actually is the best one like in, any chet baker so i would just you know any of his albums would be good um maybe the one with my funny valentine on it because that's just such a good kind of feeling that one um but uh that always is like kind of like a go-to just like uh calm down just you know just just feel good and then uh and then also any beethoven album mm, nice album can wow. you call can you call beethoven <laughs> are they albums like what are they they're, they're records <laughs> i mean what is it are scores like yeah 
<laughs> yeah, because of course he wasn't like dro- he wasn't dropping albums. But uh, <laughs> no, like Beethoven is always. Uh, any, also, that's the same with Chet Baker. Like any any Beethoven is just it's a frequency that I feel quite drawn to. So yeah, Beethoven, Chet Baker, and Queen would get me through a year pretty good. Nice. If um, if you could have a superpower, what would that be? Yeah, superpower, good one. Uh, well, I think like you know because. Uh, you know, we all do 3D so much. I think that flying around would be something that uh, I could get used to quite easily, mm-hmm. just because I'm navigating in the in the orb. <laughs> uh, so like, it, it feels like like I'm already used to doing that, and I find it quite limiting to not be able to to sort of navigate. And also, maybe like, is there a superpower where you can move like objects around, like like you can in 3D? Like if you could like grab a you know, grab like the side of a building and just shift it to another spot, and then all the lighting updates. Like that would be pretty cool. <laughs> like a gim, like a like a real life uh, um, gimbal. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's awesome. I mean, this is the first time that someone has said that shifting objects. That's a great one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's a. Yeah, maybe maybe the new blender will come up with that. <laughs> then it's just like. <laughs> Stick the new blender like <laughs> up your butt, and then suddenly you can move real objects around. <laughs> Plug it in. <laughs> uh, um, okay, so um, what would you tell your twenty years old self? That's the last one. I think I would um, tell my twenty year old self to also remember comfort. That it's um, that it's like you know, remember to like recover. You know, that is um that like physical comfort is just as important as um uh inspiration that like that like like if you have if you can be inspired but you also have to be um well enough to to use the inspiration so don't forget that side that that not every like you know like for example for a good example is like buying tons of antiques that look really beautiful and are inspiring and have a feeling but um that it's hard to um to rest and lie down and take a good nap on it you know like like mm-hmm. that's like the material version of it but I, I think it's just like um you know be well so that you can uh use the inspiration for something you know that's it yeah jeffrey man jeffrey Lederman, thank you so much man i really I, I didn't say much in this episode because because i just couldn't you know like it was it was like music in my ears so uh, thank you so much man i really 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 enjoyed it Thanks for asking the questions, getting me there from uh, from your uh, Zen mountaintop. Where you're gonna get bit 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 by a first man mountain man to get bit by a duck on the top. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a Dutch mountain, so. <laughs> All right, this uh, have a have a great day, and uh, I'll talk to you soon, man. All right, yeah, peace too. All right. Ciao.